When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, everyone, and welcome to XYZ, the podcast about CNC, automation, robotics, business, and more. My name is Nick Frank. I'm one of the owners of Frank Brothers Guitar Company, and I'm joined by my good pal and co-host, Aaron Goff of Goff Custom Knives. What's happening? (laughs) You're improvising there. I thought we agreed not to do that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, well, you know, it's like jazz, you know? You can't be trusted. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, it's going good, man. It's... It's going good. It's uh, been a crazy day. I don't. I feel like I never have enough time. Oh yeah, I feel like I'm always that. behind or something. <laughs> yeah, how I about can you? Relate to that. I can very much relate to that. Mm. Uh, yeah, no, I just I had one of those like good, flowy, productive days. So I feel all right. Nice. Some highs yeah. and lows, as per usual. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yes, I had a couple of those too. So um, I think I said to you last week that uh, I just, my, my, the fixtures that I made for doing the kitchen knife suck. Mm-hmm. They're bad. It, they're the worst fixtures I've made in a long time. Oh, God. Um, just the, basically the second operation, there's an air gap underneath the part, which I thought was necessary because I wasn't going to surface the whole top of the stock. Um, and I wasn't surfacing the whole top of the stock because there are bolts like in the way I couldn't, you know, holding down the stock, but that means that it just builds up resonance in, in that part. And I get like catastrophic tool failure very quickly. Right. Um, overheating of the part, you know, it, it was just bad. So anyway, today, um, I went to take the, so the, the fixture has like a sub plate, um, you know, like a, a base plate and then. Uh, which is uh, one inch thick aluminum. And then it has these um, steel sections that are pinned and bolted into place. Mm-hmm. And um, I went to remove the OP2 one to put a new um, raw piece of material on there so I could remake that fixture. And uh, I used my impact gun. I was like, oh, yeah, yeah. But I always use um, ball head hex driver bits in my sure. impact gun just because I use it mainly for. Um, on my fixture plate. Like I have a lot of quarter 20 fasteners on the fixture plate. So okay. it makes it really fast. The only problem is I should have remembered that those, those ball head drivers, you can shear the ball off oh. in the bolt. And in this case, I used stainless steel hardware in the back of the thing. So the head of the bolt was soft enough that the ball kind of turned halfway in between the flats of the hex and got wedged. And then, and then sheared off. So I had this, uh, like ball head stuck in there. <laughs> I, I I took like a um, a ratchet and removed all the rest of them. It was fine, but that one was like I tried to like um, get the the ball head out of the, the socket on the fastener, and no, no go. I ended up having to. Uh, There's a fantastic trick that I read about on Practical Machinists. Basically, you 
take um, a nut from a fastener that's a little bit larger than what you're trying to remove. You lay that over the hole so you can see the, the head of the fastener through the hole in your, in your nut. And then you fill the hole of the nut with a uh, weld. Oh. You actually weld through. Crazy. Yeah. And so you're basically welding the nut onto the top of the fastener underneath. And then yeah, you yeah. can use the nut as a handle to undo it. And it worked beautifully. Wow. That is clever. Yeah. It was, I can't take credit for that. Someone else came up with it. But oh my God, did it work? beautifully so that that was my ups and downs i was like oh god damn and then <laughs> i was like yeah yeah i fixed it i also snapped something off in a hole today oh. well similarly to what you've done did you have to go to hospital or <laughs> uh no i was i have you know what i did is i was taking a a uh, a clamping call off and it's got two mm. uh the guitar has two holes in in they've got two sorry two steel bushings and um, until we fully, we, we need to, to update the placement of these holes in the fixture. Mm. But um, anyways, we have two dowel pins that we're currently using to locate the guitar body onto the these gluing calls that go into the gluing call has, the, sorry, the guitar has the steel bushings. The gluing call just has the holes. Right. Anyways, we're using these phenolic dowels and... As I was lifting it off, it kind of got stuck and I just twisted it and it just sheared the phenolic dowel off into the uh, the call mm. perfectly flush with the call too. <laughs> <laughs> so now what I'm, I'm, I, you know what I did though is I just, I was like, I looked at it and I was like, I don't need this right now. And just put it back on the shelf. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I was like, well, I'll fix it later. That's I'm just going to drill a hole in it and then tap that with a, probably a wood screw and then just yoink it yeah, out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it felt good to just it felt good to just put it back on the shelf and be like, I'm not gonna deal with this right now. <laughs> this is a problem for future Nick. Yeah, exactly. Fuck you, future Nick. Uh yeah. Fuck yeah. that guy. <laughs> uh and yeah, otherwise, um what was my uh my high was we um uh we tested out this new um, program on the Haas. So we're cutting out mm -hmm. the signature model, mm -hmm. which is our double bound model. So our arcade model is like a solid body and only has the, the white binding. I mean, we do lots of different kinds of binding, but it only has that, that trim around the border on the top of the guitar. The right. signature model has it on the back and the, it goes all around the back. So, it goes around the heel. You know, typically a guitar doesn't like, it doesn't necessarily go all the way around the back of the guitar. Right. Um, on electrics. So we, we do this thing with it uh, for the heel. We, we make a heel cap and it fits into this um, cavity that we machine into the back. Uh, and that becomes the binding. Once we, once we cut the guitar out, it's part of the binding. But right. uh, in order to me machine the heel cap, we've been, putting it on the axes, machining like four of them at a time and which is fine, but it's like this other part you've got to like manufacture and stock. So it was, this was Mark's idea. He was like, we've the body, the frame of the guitar is going to be scrap after this process. Let's mm -hmm. just glue down a piece of that, that binding material onto a location on the body frame and machine it right out on the guitar. Yeah. yeah and 100%. then, 
and and then we can knock it off, install it. We make them one at a time, but it's in it's that good workflow. Mm. And then if we're doing you know tortoise shell or black binding or white binding, you know, right, can... it's right there with the rest of the guitar that has the same yeah. binding. So the only yeah. thing I have to stock now is one inch by three inch pieces of three eighth inch thick material. Oh, okay. So you're taking like a rectangular piece and then cutting it into the shape of the binding that'll go exactly. With. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Anyways. Gotcha. And you I just like it's... gluing that on top with super glue or something? And you'll just yeah, I just do a off. couple couple dabs of super glue. Mm. Nice. It, it's super quick. We use this gel super glue that's mm. really nice, so it it doesn't like get everywhere. Is um, it the gorilla or is it a fast cap thing? It's a fast cap thing. Yeah, you guys love your fast cap glues. We do. I mean, it just comes in a nice sized bottle. The tip, mm. like on every super glue bottle, is horrible, but. They make it long enough that you can constantly cut it back, and by the time it's like down to a nub, you're usually out of glue. So I really like the Gorilla Super Glue because the cap screws on, and it actually has a pin in the cap that makes a hole through the you know gelled up Super Glue. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've had good luck with those not like coming up. Right. Okay. Does it does it come in various uh, consist like uh, viscosities? No, they don't have an ultra thin. Um, they just have like a, a medium viscosity. However, okay. on McMaster, our favorite uh, <laughs> website, there are a line of super glues called Permabond. Um, and I'm using some of that like water thin Permabond at the moment. Mm-hmm. And that has the same style of cap with a little pin in it. Oh, nice. Um, okay. And it, it works great. And it's very inexpensive. Is it? Yeah. Because all super glue is expensive. I can't remember the exact price, but I think it's like five bucks a bottle or something. Like it's not okay. It's not crazy. I wonder how much how much comes in a bottle. Uh, I think it's 0.6 ounces. Is the one that I'm okay. buying. Yeah, yeah. Because the bottles we're getting are ten ounces, and they range between like fifty and sixty Canadian dollars. Right, right. Uh, it ain't cheap. No. Well, we go so through a lot. I sent you a, a text the other day that. Um, so there's this fixturing method, which I saw, I think I saw it first on um, John Saunders' channel on NYC CNC, where on the bottom of your workpiece, you put masking tape. And then on your fixture or your spoil board or whatever, you put masking tape. And then you super glue the two pieces together, like masking tape to masking tape. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know, I was excited to see you doing this. Yeah, and so the one of the things with the kitchen knife is that in the first operation, I it makes things a lot simpler if I can just access a hundred percent of that top surface because that way I can just um, do a facing operation, cut it to thickness and then use that, that plane as my um, Z location on the second op when I flip it over, if that makes sense. Yep. Um, and I can't clamp the edges because the materials, you know, three inches wide and it's only an eighth of an inch thick. So it'll just flex out of the way, you know, um, so I was like, oh, okay, fine. I'll just try this like super glue thing. And you know, I've seen so many people say like, I love this method. Like we, we cut, we do crazy cuts. I've never had it move. And so I was like, okay, fuck it. I'm just going to do like full send. On this. <laughs> so I'm hard milling using super glue and masking tape. And I literally, as I said, I went full send. I'm like 60 inches a minute, high feed roughing, like all the stuff that I normally do. And it didn't move at all. <laughs> um, that's great. That's amazing. 
Yeah, I was really, really impressed. I, and, you did send me a photo, and it looked awesome. Yeah, and the, the the thing is, because it's got that full surface contact, like you're you're basically getting you know glue over most of that surface. You know, there are probably little pockets without glue or whatever, but that means the damping, yeah, is like perfect. It's completely coupled to to the machine table through the fixture. You know, like it was great. I, I was super impressed. Well, I'm sure you, you know this, but that's how we fixture everything on the Axis machine, except for bodies that we bolt down. Oh, really? No, I didn't know that. Okay. We've been doing this since we started, like seven years ago. Hmm. That's how I still hold down fretboards, uh, everything neck-related. <laughs> right. um, we hold, That's how I hold down those heel caps before we were machining them on the the mm. hoss everything i mean it's a it's an incredible trick so one so i mean i'm actually contemplating using this as my production fixturing for the kitchen knife do you have any like things that you would say there are like gotchas or like stuff to watch out for with that uh machining th- m- machining tape like if you're cutting into the tape gums yeah. up and mills mm-hmm. uh it's a pain to clean up the the super, the hardened super glue, like if you try to pick at it, like that hard that super glue hardens the tape and it like gets under your fingernail. Oh, right, that really smarts. Uh, I don't know. Otherwise, it's just a bit of a pain um, to clean. I and have to a actually bit... lay it down and 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 apply it. Yeah, so I I bought some three and a half inch wide masking tape mm-hmm. from McMaster, so I can just do one piece. I don't have to worry about. Yeah, you, you know, because be you have to butt the so edges right up next to each other. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and I think I have it a bit easier because my fixture and my workpiece are both steel. I can just use a razor blade to scrape have it you, off. Like, could you literally just super glue? Could just use one piece of tape, or none, or none. <laughs> yes, I I theoretically could, and I'm tempted to try it. And I think what you would do in that case is just like you know, take a mallet and a punch and hit it on the, like hit the workpiece on the side and like shear it off super glue. Yeah. Cause um, um, that's what we do for our, when we were machining our bone nuts, we don't, mm. we put the, we just tack them to onto the aluminum fixture with uh super glue. And then we <laughs> use acetone, which is a solvent for right. cyanoacrylate. And that as long as it can get in and loosen the joint, it, it, uh, it'll just like dissolve the super glue. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's probably worth a shot. It would, I don't know whether it would make it the cleanup easier or hard. Yeah. <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I can, yeah. It might not be worth it. Cause at least the tape releases cleanly from both surfaces. And then once it comes off, you don't have any glue left. It's all on the tape. You know? Yeah. Um, no, so, I mean, yeah, that's, I that's sweet. Um, what about vacuum? Would vacuum work? You know, I was I was looking at this, and the answer is maybe. <laughs> um, you would have to block it in. You like you'd have to block the part in on all four sides because vacuum has. So, like, when you remove all the air from underneath the part, then you have the air that's on top of the part pushing it down. And at sea level, that's only about fourteen pounds per square inch. Um, so, over the the size of this part, that would be about five hundred pounds of hold down force but the problem is it has almost no capacity to to stop it from sliding right so the any lateral force might 
push it. Like, yes, move it. Which but, means then I'd have to put like pit bulls or um, like hex, hex clamps or, or something. You what know, about just on... dalpins? But the problem is then if, it, like imagine the dalpin has, there's five, five hours space between the side of the workpiece and the dalpin. It could move back and forth in that five thou as I'm machining it. Um, like it could slide around. A five thou gap in your hole? No, no. I'm well. So imagine if you have um, your tolerance. So my stock is not going to be a perfect width always or length, mm -hmm. right? So if I have like one hard rail and then I'm oh. you know, putting dowel on the other side, there's either, I, I basically have to leave a gap. I was more. I was actually talking about just like drilling right through the the, the stock mm. and and doing dowel pins that way. You could, but then I have to have an op zero. You know, I have to have like a part of the cycle where I'm standing there waiting for the machine to drill the, the holes. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, you could do that. And, you know, I was thinking, oh, maybe I should do that, you know, with the superglue. I could like bolt it, bolt it down or something. But you know what? If the superglue works, then like, why bother? Well, yeah. You know, that means that that, <clears throat> that op one fixture has nothing that's specific to that knife model at all. And I, I love that idea. I love the idea that I could use the exact same fixture to machine a completely different type of blade. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's so funny because like we're, <clears throat> we're desperately trying to get away from that technique. Mm. Um, but uh, it, it is power, a powerful tool. Yeah. And I, I mean, I guess for me, it's, it's not a big deal to potentially do that because I'm only, you know, so today I went like full bore. Um, doing hard milling for the Resolute, my hunting knife. And that's three cycles in the day, you know, because each cycle's two two hours and 45 minutes. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, if I had to do this for that um, process, then I'd only be doing super glue and tape three times in a day. It's, it's No, it's really, bad, that's you know? not bad at all. Yeah. I, I'd say that's a great way to just get the ball rolling. Yes. Yeah, I could I could look into vacuum... One of the other things I could potentially do is um, magnetic work holding. Oh, I've looked at that's this for a, sweet a long idea. time, right? Yeah. Like, because you can get um, uh, like, what are they called? Like the the, the grinders. Sorry, the magnets that they use on um, magnetic chucks. Um, sorry, that's the, on yeah, surface like grinders. On surface grinders. Yeah. Yeah, you know. So I could do op zero on a magnetic chuck. That that's a sweet idea. Yeah. The, as far as I know, the biggest issue with that is then you end up, or A, your part gets magnetized, which isn't great. And you have chips that want to stick to it because it's magnetic. Uh, yes. Because I guess with grinding, you're just, you're kind of making dust. Yeah. So maybe that's not as big an issue. Yeah, and also I think grinding wheels aren't very sensitive to like that dust right. being on the surface. You know, whereas a cutting tool that's encountering extra chips yeah, it doesn't like machining that. that would suck. Yeah, and you maybe if you're using, I mean, an air blast or coolant, mm -hmm. but you're not. No, I do use an air blast. Oh, you do? Um, okay. Yeah, you just you might have to crank the the power of the air blast up. Um, huh. So one thing I do on um, Vicky on my VMC 15 is I actually don't use compressed air from my compressor for the air blast. I actually have a separate rotary vane air pump oh um because 
using compressed air from the compressor is really, really expensive. And um, it's not from, oh, because you've got, it's like a high horsepower, or high CFM. Yeah, well, low horsepower, or high CFM, because it doesn't have to compress the air as much. You know, it's, it's probably only like 20 PSI max that's coming oh, out okay. of this thing. But so it, you're just it, giving it a light dusting of with it with the uh, air from the rotary well rotary. i would say it's probably still producing like six cfm maybe okay. five cool. or six cfm it's it's actually still a pretty pretty good air blast but hmm. um that rotary vane is only like a quarter horsepower wow yeah this yeah. is a thing that we've got an air blast going a lot and you find that your compressor's on all the time because of it right well it's it's not because the hoss is so much more efficient with the air um it's and and we have a we have a nice i mean you have a nice air compressor too but mm -hmm. it's not going off like crazy but it is putting a lot of air out yeah i find if i so on my other machine i don't have an extra rotary vein um for that machine so mm -hmm. i'm using air from the air compressor and i probably get about like a 50 percent cycle time uh, like duty cycle on the air compressor it's mm -hmm. probably running about 50 percent of the time to keep right up. Um, which isn't horrible for a screw compressor, but that produces a lot of heat. And like running a 10 horsepower motor for yeah. half of the day is a lot of electricity. Yeah, true. Yeah, yours is pretty. Yours is pretty beefy. Yeah, Kaiser. So I yeah, what I mean, ours is? Ours is. I think it's seven and a half or something. Is it seven and a half or five? Oh, I don't know. It's your compressor, buddy. Seven and a half. Yeah, yeah you know this is this is. I always like go. I get really into researching something, and then as soon as I've made the decision, I completely forget all the information I learned. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so like, I don't know. if you, I, I really like the rotary veins. I'm actually looking into, um, there's another type of air pump called an electromagnetic air pump that they use for like hydroponic um, gardens nice. and for like really big aquariums. Yeah, yeah seriously. Weed. Um, Sick. And, <laughs> and they're very inexpensive. They're like it's like a hundred bucks for a little a little um air pump that'll produce uh like four CFM. Huh. Um and they're like you know a tenth of a horsepower or something. Like yeah, very cool. You know, so ultimately like you don't need a crazy air blast most of the time. You just need a bit of cooling and to get the chips out of the way. Um, and you know, using too much air is really, really expensive. So, like, yeah. one of these little options is is really nice. That's clever. Yeah, ours is hooked up like through it's it's it was an option on the Haas, so it's mm -hmm. connected to the the compress. Like, we have one uh, hose connection to the Haas, and yeah. that's feeding the tool changer and the air blast and the spindle. Yeah, yeah, and you have that like automatic air gun thing, right? Yeah. Yeah, sweet. It is pretty tight, but uh, the one okay. thing about it is, you know, you have to hand, you have to change the direction, the angle of it rather, mm. and the depth of it by manually. It's got like a quick release, like a bike tire. Okay. And we use really tiny, short tools, and then like some reasonably long, uh, bigger tools. So, you know, we haven't found the sweet spot yet. I would say. Well. You're going about it all wrong. There is actually a trick to this. Um, oh. You buy holders of different gauge lengths to get all of your tools, so that the you know the cutting point of the tool is about the same between all of them. Well, then I'd have some really long gauge lengths for some small tools. 
Yeah, which is fine because those little tools aren't going to be, you know, taking much of a cut. Interesting. Um, yeah, so you get like a little ER16 um, collet holder, you know, a two and a half inch gauge length or three inch gauge length or whatever, and then. Well, why you. didn't you tell me this when you knew I was buying it? Well, I didn't All know my you tool were having holders. this problem, buddy. I didn't know you were having Neither this problem. Did I? <laughs> yeah. It's actually I mean, hasn't been bad, but it could be better. Right. So one thing you can do if if this is a problem and you don't want to buy all new holders, you can buy um, ER collet um, like straight shank extensions. Right. So then you'd be holding a collet in a collet. Oh, but um, that sounds like you're the the opposite of what machine a machinist would recommend doing. No, you got you got to do the you know like if you're trying to optimize for something, then you optimize for it. You know. Um, yeah, but, but those are actually quite about, inexpensive. All about the shortest gauge length possible, shortest yes. stick out, shortest one hundred percent. But you are using like a one sixteenth end mill to cut fret slots in wood, <laughs> so I don't think you're going to like overload your spindle. <laughs> no, definitely not worried about overloading the spindle. Sometimes I look at the spindle, like the the load meter or whatever, mm -hmm. and it's just it looks very happy. It's just zero. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It's honestly sometimes it's like it it um the spindle load looks like it's jumping when it's like ra doing rapids mm. or something. Okay. Yeah, I mean on my machine pretty much the only time I ever see the load meter go above like literally zero is when it's accelerating or decelerating. And, and maybe like that the, yeah, huh. Okay. You know, he, um like so when the spindle's ramping up to speed or or slowing down and the whole rest of the time like all of my cuts even hard milling, they're all less than one horsepower, and that like doesn't even show up on the load meter. Right. Crazy. Um, yeah, yeah I don't like think we're pushing this thing too hard either. Yeah, I mean, the people that really push their um, machines are people that are doing like production jobs in aluminum. Oh, okay. Because you can get, you can use as much RPM as you want in aluminum, right? As long as you have the coolant for it, so you'll end up taking like you know, a 15 horsepower cut with like a, a face mill or something or right. like a, a big insert uh, end mill or, you know, I, I think those are the guys that are using a ton of horsepower. Mm -hmm. um, but I don't, I don't do that. So just itty bitty baby cuts. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, I, I did have a very interesting conversation today with um, a machine tool rep. Oh, what? And uh, yeah. Oh God! I'm expecting money. Good moves, or good news rather. Um, I don't, I don't know. I don't big know yet. Moves. Big. It is definitely a big move. So, I've been thinking for the longest time. I mean, we've talked about this so many times over the years. Wire EDM would be a very good thing for me. That's not um, where I thought you were going. <laughs> <laughs> you thought I was going with a big fancy mill. Yeah. So, like, a big fancy mill would be really nice, but it doesn't fundamentally change how I make my knives. It just makes the same process a bit shinier. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. If I got a wire EDM, then the thing it, that it enables me to do is to machine all of the three-dimensional features on one side of the knife while it's still, like, in a rectangular piece of steel. Flip it, machine all of the 3D features on the other side, but leave it in the block of steel. And then put it on the wire EDM and just cut it out. Right. Um, and that's like a non-contact machining process. So the fixturing is very, very minimal. You can literally like, you know, put some little paper clips on there to hold it in place and then off you go. Um, yeah. How do you can... work hold in wire EDM? 
they have like specific like specialist vices and all sorts of like angle plates and stuff like basically everything is stainless because the um deionized water is quite corrosive um so like wire edm work holding is actually like sky's the limit for pricing it's it's pretty nuts oh really yeah but for me i'd be holding everything flat um the wire edms normally have a imagine a rectangular bar that goes around the outside of the of the machining area and that's what they call their table it's actually like hollow it doesn't have anything in the middle right um and that is like covered in bolt holes and like dowel holes and stuff so you can literally just bolt stuff down to that okay you know it doesn't have it's to like be a fixture plate fancy yeah you know um so imagine you know i've got this like rectangular piece of steel that has all of the blade bevel and everything machined in on both sides but it's not cut out I've roughed the um, the holes for the pins, undersize, and I've made like a um, a starting hole for the the profile cut. I can most or pretty much all modern wire EDMs do automatic wire threading, so they'll actually mm. thread the wire through the part if you, if you already have a hole. So I can thread through the pinholes, come in and skim the pinholes to like perfect size within like two microns, right. Um, and then in the same operation, cut the profile. So now my tolerance between the, those pinholes and the outside profile is going to be accurate to within like a couple of microns without me even trying, you know, like it's, it's kind of hard to like hold sloppy tolerance on a wire EDM, you know? Um, and that's by far like my most difficult tolerance. That's, that's always the most difficult tolerance. And then everything else is a lot easier when I don't have to worry about work holding because I'm, I'm, you know, just bolting a flat plate down on the VMC and machining it. Yeah. Um, it's genius. It would be by far the biggest single change I could make to my process. <laughs> uh, okay. So what, what, uh, machine tool are at? What, what machine tool are you looking at? <laughs> so I went all the way to the top. I went straight to Makino. Oh, wow. To Makino yeah. You're a big Makino guy. Um, so they have a machine called the U3, which is their like smallest wire EDM. Um, and I mean, it's still got a pretty decent work envelope. I think, I think it's about like 26 inches wide and then 12. So yeah, tw 26 ish in X, 12 in Y. And then it, it can cut parts that are like 10 inches thick, yeah, <laughs> which is wow. insane. So um, 10 inches thick. Yeah. Yeah. Holy. This thing's cool um, looking. Yeah, they're like really tidy little machines. Like they're, Yeah, they're, they're not very big. No. But that thing weighs like five metric tons. Like it is an incredibly heavy little really? machine. Really? Yeah. Um, and the rep was saying that, you know, his kind of off the cuff estimate off the cuff estimate is that cycle time for cutting out the kitchen knife would be twenty to thirty minutes. Okay. Um, and consumables cost would be probably five to six dollars an hour for for that kind of a cut. Right. So that means I'm at a cost of like, you know, two bucks. Yeah. To cut the, the that's, that's what I was going to ask. Like I've heard wire EDMs can be expensive to to operate. Yeah, and I think that they they are, you know, but it, it's mostly if you're like taking, you know, cutting big thick pieces. Right. Um, he said. You know, I he was basically advising me against going for any of the like fast cutting upgrades because what I'm looking at doing is so easy for an EDM that I wouldn't get the extra benefit. Right. Oh, cool. Um, 
Well, that's sweet that you wouldn't. You know, you're not you're not buying a machine that you're where you're pushing its uh, upper limits. Yeah, not at all. And it would enable to me to do a lot of really interesting stuff. Like, um, uh, there's a a feature on some knives called jimping, which is where you have like almost like little slots going across the spine of the knife as kind of a grip feature. Okay. Um, they're really difficult to machine. Like you'd have to like drill them beforehand and then mill through like halfway through the, the drill holes, you know, with a wire EDM, you can just make like a little tiny kind of like comb, you know, the, the wire can just go in and make those little slots. Right. Um, do all sorts of really, really interesting stuff. Like I, I'm working on a folding knife design, right? Mm-hmm. I could do all of the handle parts and like the pocket clip and everything out of one piece of steel and then cut it out like a little, almost like, um, one, you know, one of those old plastic model plane kits where you like break yeah, the parts. Yeah, snap them out, yeah. Yeah, you know, you just cut part them out with the wire ADM out of that one sheet of steel. Um, what a cool idea. Yeah, Definitely it's... a big zag. I wasn't expecting you to go this route. But... <laughs> Honestly, it's been something that I've been like really seriously thinking about for years. Like literally years. The only reason I haven't jumped on it is that older wire EDMs tend to be money pits. Oh. You need um, you need to buy new. Yeah, new or newer. Like you'd probably want something that's made in the last 10 years. I mean, if anyone's listening to this and and knows of an older wire EDM that you know the parts are easily available. Um, I would love to hear about it. Um, you know, like the electronics on the old ones, you know, like they, they could be made out of like completely obsolete components. Mm. So like good luck getting replacement parts and stuff. Right. You know? Like a so, doll or a Haas. These are like a, a dime a dozen compared to a wire EDM, which is maybe a little bit more of a rare, rare yeah. commodity. Yeah. So, you know, I have seen some that are like, you know, you can find one on like Kijiji or Craigslist for like five grand, but I really don't know what the maintenance would be like on something like that. And I contacted another company today that sells like refurbished machines and they have um, a 1997 Sodic A320, which I've heard is a a relatively easy machine to maintain. But they want like $32,000 US for a machine from 1997. 97? Holy smokes. Yeah. You know, and a brand new Makino is 120. So like, is it, I don't know if it's really worth, you know, rolling the dice on the old one. Right. I mean, especially if you're going to finance it, like your deposit might be less than 30. Yeah. So yeah, we'll see. I mean, honestly, the financial side of it is the most difficult part. Um if I buy a house and I'm able to move the workshop to the house, then, you know, like the numbers that I was doing on that house that I, I missed out on the other day, my, my fixed costs at the workshop would go from like $2,200 a month to like 600. Right. Well, that's, you know, sweet. yeah. And that, that difference is like pretty much the financing on a brand new wire EDM. Right. <laughs> right. And, so. um, what, uh, what would be, what are the power requirements of this thing? Uh, I'm waiting for the technical docs from the, the machine rep. Um, but yeah, they kind of seem pretty beefy. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. Like you, they you need three phase. Um, they're going to be on like, you know, 15, 20 amp breaker, something like that. So it's not too bad, yeah, that's but, not like, crazy. but in, in a, in a residential setting, yeah. you know, where well, you're going to have a single phase, it's going to yeah. be difficult. That's always going to be a struggle. 
Yeah. So we'll see. I'm going to talk to a bunch of different vendors. Um, and then luckily we have CMTS coming up. Yes. I'm so excited. Yeah. So I'm definitely going to be like um, wire EDM shopping. Cool. At, uh, CMTS. Um, we actually had some people uh, write in. Scott Hoadley in, in, in particular said he's interested in coming out for a CMTS hang. So we should work out what day we're going and let everyone know so mm. that we can hang out. Right on. Um, this is exciting. So who are the other players in the Wire EDM game? Uh, it's Aggie Charmills, Brother, Makino, Sodic, uh, and Fennec are the, the ones that I right. know of. GF has one too, right? That's That would be pretty high-end. Yeah, I guess so. I don't think I've ever seen one of their machines. I, I know of the, the company because they do like crazy five-axis machines, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. You know, so like I could go with a better mill instead. But right. the thing that a better mill would get me is better surface finishes. It wouldn't fundamentally change my process. Um, whereas I think that a wire EDM, like going to that very different process has a potentially a lot of benefits. So could you, um, like model this up, mm-hmm. machine it as you're, you've described, and then take it to a wider wire EDM job shop and say, cut yes. this out. Yes. And I actually had, um, there's a lovely guy named Marcus who runs a company on, the west coast in um he's actually on victoria island um, oh cool his company is called implemex and he does mainly i'm giving him a shout out here because he's a super helpful guy on practical machines he's always happy to answer questions and stuff um he does like super tiny like like he'll literally be like laser welding a part that like disappears on your fingertip <laughs> you know like this the, he does like really crazy medical applications um, and I was talking to him about this and he's actually offered to test cut some parts for me Oh, amazing! on his older wire EDM. Um, so yeah, I'm definitely going to take him up on that. It's just basically I have to get the kitchen knife process working at some level before I can, you know, do but that. this would be how you would do your, you know, resolute as well, right? Yes. A hundred percent. Um, because from the, the, like vmc side like the milling side of things it means so right now to do the resolute it's five operations um and it, if i was using this method it would be two milling operations and one wire edm operation mm-hmm. um so that means i'd be able to go to much denser fixtures much simpler fixtures um i would be a lot less picky about the condition of the raw materials like right now i can own for the resolute i can only use precision ground stock Mm. Um, because some of the finished surfaces are actually like the surface of the raw material. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. Underneath the handle scales, right? I can't machine that part because of the way my fixtures work. So I have to use precision ground stock. Whereas doing this new method with the, you know, the first op would, I guess, be this tape and super glue. Second op is like, um, you know, held down by a bunch of bolts around the, the knife shape. I can access every surface. Um, yeah, and then you know, one op on the the wire EDM, and all of this could run unattended. You know, it means I'd be able to absolutely fill the machine table on on the VMC, and you know, maybe I would be looking at sixteen, twenty hours worth of unattended runtime. Oh yeah, that's great. 
and then you know I take all those parts, chuck them on the wire EDM, and then that runs unattended for two or three hours, and then I literally have like a wire EDM full of blades. Um, so yeah, I, it's it's kind of funny how I came to this as well. Like you know, obviously I've been thinking about it for a while, but one of the things that kind of kicked me into like really looking is, you know, we've talked a couple of times about like what I would do if I got a brand new machine. And one of the things I've always said is like, oh, it's super important that that machine is just running 24 hours a day doing hard milling. And then I was like, wait, why the fuck aren't I doing that now? You know, because so right now on, on the fixtures for the Resolute, um, on the left-hand side of the fixtures, there's all of the blade stuff. And on the right-hand side of the, the fixture, there's an area for doing the handle scales. So if I'm running blades all the time, I don't have any capacity to do handle scales. Mm -hmm. And if I need to do handle scales, I have to interrupt the hard milling. And often that means that I'll miss like, you know, the handle scales only take like 35 minutes, but that might mean that I miss out on like a whole cycle of hard milling. So I might miss out on three hours of spindle time for that half hour of handle scales. Right. Um, and the handle scales are much more like on demand. Like I have to like assemble them and machine them on a, a you know case by case basis for individual orders, whereas the the blades are they're always the same. So I think I'm actually going to be moving toward that in as quickly as I can, like getting both the kitchen knife and the resolute together, like the blades of them together on one set of fixtures in that machine that'll just run for as long as possible. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, what, and what um, would be any? Would there be any limitations in terms of tool life, or? Um, I think I would probably be at the point where I, I'm like, actually, you know what? I don't know. If I do the wire EDM route, then right now the thing that's killing my tools is um, cutting on the side of the tools, like cutting the profile of the knives. Right. Um, doing the 3D contouring on the on the bevels, the tool life's really good. You know, I might be looking at like. 12 knives per per tool for just oh yeah double. so you're not going to run into an issue where you you could you could swap out a tool before running a new pallet let's say yeah it would probably be like every two cycles right. something like that you know and then i'd be getting you know 12 12 knives out of a tool um something like that so we'll we'll see man like this is obviously for me, this is would be a very aggressive move. I, I don't finance stuff. I don't go into debt as, as much as I can, you know? Yeah. And this would be like, you know, <laughs> like a, a new wire EDM is a, a pretty big investment. So Right. It would be a little scary to buy that before finding your new home because yeah, the banks might so. know about that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> if you financed $120,000. Yeah, I think getting it afterward would make more sense. Yeah. Um, for sure. Because as I said, you know, like if I'm able to get a place in the price range that we're looking at, then like literally I'll be saving enough money to just pay for the wider EDM and have my fixed expenses. Right. You'll, you'll have more available money. Cash flow. Cash flow. Yeah. 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 I so think I, it's a very cool idea. I like that it's a non-traditional route. Yeah. A hundred percent. And I think it's one of those things that like, when you look at it and you're like, Oh, if, it, if it works, like I'm not going to toot my horn too much before like proving it out. But like, if it works the way I'd like it to, then it's, it's going to be like magical, mm -hmm. you know, it, it could potentially mean that like my fixtures become completely generic. 
Like there's no fixture for the kitchen knife and the Resolute. There's just like one type of fixture. Right. You know, I buy one size of stock and I can just make whatever knife I want. <laughs> um, that would be very, very cool. What kind of surface finish does Wire EDM leave? It looks like a very fine kind of sandblasted finish. Oh, okay. Um, because the actual machining, it's really cool. Like at a large scale, when you look at it, it's, you know, very gentle, almost like no, it's basically a non-contact machining process. But at the microscopic scale, the machining is actually happening by like explosions that are like literally like as hot as the sun, just about, you know, like you've got these tiny little sparks happening between the wire and the workpiece. Right. Um, you know, underneath this like fluid bath. And when that spark happens, the amount of energy that it's injecting into that tiny little area, it's literally exploding and vaporizing the metal away. That is so, insane. Like, yeah, this tiny wire. I know, right? Like, how big is the wire? Um, the Makino rep recommended that I stick with 10 thousandths wire. Oh my God, it's so thin. And that's that's one of the thicker wires you would get. Like it's like it, a guitar the, string, the thin, the thinnest, the thinnest one. Yeah, yeah. The the thickest um, commonly used wire is sixteen thou, and they use that when they're doing like really thick cuts mm -hmm. because the wire has to carry all of that energy. Right. Um. So you actually need the extra diameter to be able to pass enough energy through it in order to keep making the cut. So. That finish that it leaves, would you have mm -hmm. to then, would you just leave it? I would just leave it. Oh, you know, sad. like I'm already sandblasting right. most of my, my blades. So if I was to sandblast it, it's just going to blend in perfectly. Um, but also, I don't, I personally, I would really, really like to get to the point where my as machined finishes are so nice that I'm 100% happy sending them straight to a customer. Like right off the machine. Right off the machine. Can you, know, you wire EDM the bevel? Yes, you can. And no, it's not a good idea. <laughs> okay. So you want um, your you want your hard milled uh, yeah. surface to be a mirror. Yeah, you know, so imagine sometime in the in the fantastical future where I can afford, you know, like a Makino F five hard milling mill or like an Okuma Genos M five sixty V, something like that, you know where I'm just like making mirrors on the bevel. And right. then, you know, so the, the bevel is like a, an amazing mirror. And then the spine and the outline of the blade is this really cool, like matte finish off the EDM. Yeah, that would look so good. Yeah. Having that yeah. contrast is awesome. I mean, we exactly. the majority of our guitars have a glossy top and a satin sides, mm -hmm. back and neck. And in that contrast looks great. Yeah. And, you know, I would obviously offer like hand finishing options still like satin finish tumbled right. finishes, mirror polish, who knows, you know, but it would be so cool to have, that has for the longest time been my goal. And I've worked really hard to that, to get to that, the idea of the finishes right off the machine being good enough that I could send them straight to a customer. Yeah. Unfortunately, I'm just really up against the limits of my CNC's. Right. You know? um, and I have, I, so like the, the lengths that I've gone to to get the finishes that I currently have are like pretty stupid, honestly. Like, so when I'm machining the bevels, everyone that looks at that, and this is what I used to do, it is a parallel 3D contour toolpath, right? Where you're the the tool's just making straight lines back and forth, um, machining that whole surface. Right. 
The problem is that that means that as you're going up the surface, the changes in elevation are always happening in straight lines. So you get this kind of like stair step thing that happens right. on my machine. So what I'm doing instead is actually a radial toolpath where um, you have like a center point and then all of the passes of the tool are actually coming out from that center point. Okay, um, yeah. You know, from like that tiny center point to a big outside circle. And I actually had to like do all this math and line it up so that the tool passes are lined up with the plunge line and then they sweep out from there toward the tip changing angle as they go and that means that as you get toward the tip it's actually starting to machine a curve across the bevel and that eliminates the stair stepping oh, because sick. you're going on a curve rather than straight lines upper upper ramp um but like that's such a pain in the ass to program you know so like a brand new machine like the makino f5 would have no problem at all just doing a parallel finishing toolpath and not getting stair steps you know? right so how much is a Makino F5? You know, I'm, I'm going to ask them because I don't actually know a hard number. I thought it was like closer to 200, but I also thought that the wire EDM would be more expensive than 120 ish for the, for the U3. So we'll see. Um, Okuma lists their prices, don't they? Yes, they do. The U S prices, they list the like base price right on their website. And I think it was like 130 for yeah. the M560. So, and like for anyone that's listening, like go, go check out like the, there's a YouTube video called the, the dog bone demo on the M560V where they're, they're cutting us, like they're doing a finish pass at a thousand inches a minute. Um, wow. One inch deep in, in steel. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's a, uh, honestly, it's a stupid, stupid machine. It's, it's pretty crazy. It's a. This is a big machine, though. The M five sixty V. Yes, it is. It's sixteen thousand pounds, forty by twenty. Um, machine like, I would have thought you'd like you'd be looking at more at the M four sixty. So, I just don't think it makes sense because there's only like a ten thousand dollar difference between the two of them, mm -hmm. and you know, then you get an extra ten inches of X travel. That means that I could like put more parts on there, get more unattended runtime. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. We wanted a VF4. <laughs> right. But uh, we don't have the Z, the Z clearance. Right. But if you ha if that wasn't, yeah, so you mean you don't have the Z clearance in your workshop. Yes. Right? Like it would hit the roof. Kind of. If it that wasn't an issue. Pipes. Oh, fuck those pipes. If, if it wasn't, wasn't an issue, issue it still would have been a bigger price tag i mean it's in we we don't I'm, I'm i actually don't regret buying the smaller machine because so far we haven't mm. needed any big any more table space right the idea was it would be a machine we could grow into more because we could machine a base neck on it right um but we're not making bases right now right or you could have like one fixture plate that has locations for like all the different parts all on there at the same time so you don't have to like swap fixtures out or something right you could but i mean a, a guitar body is like 18 to 20 inches long 
So maybe you could fit two bodies on there and machine two bodies at once. But no, I mean like one body, one neck, one fretboard, one. Oh, wouldn't be big enough for that. Maybe a fretboard. You could do you could do body and fretboard. But yeah, I don't know. I mean, this one piece workflow is kind of working for us right now. It's definitely not the most efficient because you need to stay in there. But we're not running these lights out. Um, and right. Yeah. I mean, our volume's just not there yet either, but it will be, it will be. Yeah. So the next one, that's what I'm saying. You save them. This is like, um, what's his name? Pierce, Jay Pearson mm-hmm. principle. It's like you kind of don't cheap out on it, get what you need, but don't throw, don't like buy everything, every option on the machine. Right. You'll, you'll save Ten, fifteen, twenty thousand dollars. That's a de- that's a deposit on another machine, right? Yeah. Well. So ten grand in your pocket. I mean, on a smaller machine that you, it makes sense for you though, because you you do load these. You could load that table with your small parts and just let it run. Yeah, exactly. unattended. Yeah, the ideal would be like twenty three hours of cycle time, or forty seven hours of cycle time. Mm-hmm. You know, like I want it to be aligned just shy of a 24 hour boundary. So, you know, if I go in Monday morning, 9 a.m., the machine's done, and then I change out all the parts, hit cycle start, and then it's running until the next morning. Yeah. Um, or it's two days, you know, so like I can hit start Sunday, Saturday morning, and then it, uh, Monday morning it's, it's ready. Um, in terms of like, running unattended and getting like the maximum out of that machine, it should be like as close as possible to a hundred percent spindle on time. Right. And yeah, running unattended, running lights out is like by far the best way to do that. Yeah. That's super cool. Um, Yeah. And speaking of super cool and new machines, uh, I got a message from Scott Hoadley, one of our listeners who we've heard from quite a few times. Thank you, Scott who sent me a photo of his bowler garage. Uh, Cause he just got, you know, he was talking, I think you remember, right? He was talking about getting the Haas mini mill and then we kind of talked him into a VF2. Uh-huh. So he, he bought it. It's in his garage oh, to right go, next Scott. to his brand new Kaiser screw compressor. Um, yeah. Shop goals, dude. I, I'll have to ask him if I can post a photo, but it is, it's balling. You should ask Good him job, about uh, how he got three face. Or, mm. I guess, probably a transformer. Well, uh, you know, a lot of Canada does have three-phase. Even really? like rural Canada. Yep. Oh, sick. Um, well, congratulations, Scott. That's really dope. Mm-hmm. I want to know the specs. Sounds like a cool machine. It does. Um, and a couple of episodes ago, we were talking about cutting pick guards on a CO2 laser. I was asking you about that. Um, so I heard back from... Uh, Laura at Farm Chick Engraving, um, who she does a lot of like CO2 laser engraving and cutting. And she cool. did some research for us and said uh-huh. that ABS can't be cut in a CO2 laser because it produces toxic smoke. Excellent. So, Good to know. Bad idea. And initially she, she said that acetate couldn't be cut either, like the cellulose acetate. But with some extra research, she said that it actually can be cut in a CO2 laser. Okay. Apparently... The trick is low power, high speed, and multiple passes. Interesting. Um, yeah. 
so that would keep it from combusting <laughs> yeah I, I guess so but i the, the downside is if you do have a failure <laughs> where it starts to combust <laughs> it's gonna really combust it doesn't you know it honestly doesn't seem as flammable as the celluloid nitrate oh okay but that's really good to know because um i mean abs's are uh probably the most common plastic we use for pick guards right uh so won't be investing in a laser thank you well but maybe there's you know some other material that's equivalent like a colored acrylic or something yeah that is laser safe like acrylic is amazing on the laser you get like glass finishes on the edges yeah we used to make you can't get nice white in acrylic unfortunately yeah it's kind of a milky right yeah uh or just like appliance white um Black looks great in acrylic, but you can't get multi-laminate black. Mm. Like, we use uh, our black pickguards have a white and a black layer right underneath that black surface. But when we do um, just straight black guards, we we use straight black acrylic. And for our pickup rings, we use uh, cast black acrylic. Cool. Um, But... Yeah, that would. I I still do want a laser. <laughs> what, what oh was, yeah, of course. What was her handle on Instagram? Uh, I'll have to send it to you. It's uh, Laura, and her name is Laura, and she owns a company called Farm Chicken Graving. Uh, however, I think that her um, Instagram handle was Mama of Two Hooligans, oh. if I remember correctly. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I don't think that was her like business Instagram. Oh, okay, all right. So, yeah, well, I'll have to um, see if she has a business Instagram. Cool. And, uh, well, post that. That's great. Great. I might have to edit out her personal Instagram. <laughs> Probably. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Um, we actually got a, I, I, like, I'm sorry, everybody. If you've been writing to me on Instagram or elsewhere asking questions, I just have been slammed. So I know that there was a bunch of people that have written in and I haven't responded to. And I'm, I'm trying my best to do it now. So please send us questions and feedback. It's, it's really appreciated. Um, actually on that front, we were talking about SpaceX last week and I said that I thought that SpaceX did most of their machining and stuff in house. Um, it turns out we actually have a listener named Tony who does machining for SpaceX, but he does not work at SpaceX. That's very cool. So there, SpaceX does farm out parts to job shops and he, his company is one of them. Apparently they make multiple part numbers for both Starlink and SpaceX projects. And sometimes they make hundreds of parts in a week for SpaceX, wow. which is cool as hell. So, yeah, if if you work for a job shop and you do um, like make parts for SpaceX, obviously there's going to be stuff you can't tell us because you're probably under an NDA or ITAR restrictions or whatever. But like, send us photos, send us whatever information you're allowed to share. Send it to us. We want to yeah, see it. We want to hear what, more like, about machines this. that shop is running or. Yeah, is it five-axis work? Is it three-axis work? Like, mm-hmm. how how brutal is this? Is it like crazy tolerances, or are they reasonable? Right. Material yeah, certifications? What materials like, are they? Yeah, we want to know. I, Nick specifically said to me last week that he wants to know more about the manufacturing, in yeah, terms of the SpaceX stuff. So that's what I'm more interested in. Yeah, hundred percent. I did actually do some research trying to find like um, a more recent factory tour. The most recent SpaceX factory tour that I can find is like ten years old. Okay, because I remember seeing a a tour. I don't know where it was, when it was, but it was Elon Musk walking down, walking through a factory, and he was pointing out Haas uh, VMCs. Right. 
I yeah, like, I'm gonna so have I was a... surprised. I was like, I thought they would have had like you know a more high end machine. You know what? Who like, knows like, what they were doing with them? Well, I mean, as we were talking about last week, right? Be like, be smart, design your parts with reasonable tolerances, and yeah, you know, go. And go Haas nuts. makes like, nice machines. Yeah, what's it going to take me to get you into Haas today? <laughs> uh, I'm looking at Makino, sir. Ah, Sorry. yeah. Um, Tommy, you're going to have a baller garage if you get a Makino, <laughs> dude. It's going to be so funny if I get a Makino, like high, you know, cutting edge Makino YADM, and then my shitty old Fidals next to it yeah. <laughs> that are just leaking oil onto your Makino. Yeah, exactly. And then the Makino looks like a spaceship next to it. Funny stuff. Um, Tommy Turbine on Instagram said, "Hey, any reasons why you're not looking at shrink fit?" You can DIY like shrink fit tool holders. Um, you can DIY the heating, as you probably know. I have one, bought it for testing, and I'll probably buy several more. I've been very pleased. So, yeah, it's something I've been thinking about, but I haven't done it yet. What do you have? You looked at shrink fit at all? Uh, yes and no. I I think it's cool. I I've heard of you know people using blowtorches um, yeah. and even like rigging up something that like will spin the tool yes um and i've heard it's not that bad the i've heard it can be annoying if you break a tool but we don't really break tools Mm. so it would be kind of sweet because it would take care of that issue we have with dust yep i don't know there's something i just it just kind of scares me i don't know why i feel like i would be doing it wrong (laughs) with the blowtorch there's uh I, i don't know yeah yeah. And um okay, this is would not be an issue, but I have heard and I just find this interesting. It wouldn't be an issue for me rather. Um that shrink fit tool holders have a lifespan in terms of how many times you can heat them up. Yes, I've heard something about that too, but I can't I can't tell you off the top of my head whether it's true or false. I'd have or to whether it's look at it. hundreds or thousands of times. Right, but I find that interesting. I that mm-hmm. probably wouldn't be a problem for us. I would guess, no, I but maybe so. I should. I mean, that's a good suggestion. Maybe maybe we should be shrink fit. Yeah, uh, Maritool makes shrink fit now. They do make shrink fit, and they make a shrink fit machine. Yeah, um, but it doesn't the shrink have shrink fit machines are pricey. Yeah, yeah, it doesn't have cooling. I think it was the one thing right. I heard about the Maritool one, but don't hold that to. Uh, well, I'll I mean, my word your blowtorch doesn't have tooling e- cooling either, so you're just going to have to wait. You just blow on it, right? <laughs> Give it a lick. Um, yeah, I, well, I mean, so I've been doing production hard milling with my hydraulic holders for a bit over a week now. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, and overall, I'm super happy. Um, I think I'm running them a little bit hard. Okay. Um, you're on my side, yeah, on my side milling operations, once the tool starts because with hard milling particularly when you're like uh, using the side of the tool you'll tend to take the cutting edge off like it will chip at the cutting edge but funnily enough it'll actually keep cutting really nicely (laughs) um because the the hard steel doesn't smear it just kind of gets sheared off and that means that even if the tool is like partially destroyed like chipped edges and stuff it'll still keep cutting um and I've done that for a long time with like my ER25 collets. It it is definitely a bit chirpy. Um, 
in the hydraulic holders once the edges start breaking down. It, oh, okay. it starts to it starts to sing me a song, <laughs> uh, which is not great. But I I know from experience that with my current process, it's the same with ER holders. Um, the one thing that I am a little concerned about is I'm starting to see some kind of vibration marks on the inside bore of the sleeve and of the hydraulic holder oh, because wow. clearly I'm, I'm like, you know, bouncing that tool around. Um, is this part like part of the problem is your work holding? Um, possibly. I mean, part of the problem is just my process, right? basically. Um, yeah, it probably is work holding because when I'm machining the side of the of the knife, I have to be clamping the knife from the top, top and bottom, so that it's it's kind of like a knife sandwich. The the edge of the knife is sticking out the middle, um, but that means that I have I have to hang the tool out of the holder um, five eighths of an inch. the The flutes on the tool are only three eighths long. Mm-hmm. So I have an extra three eighths of shank sticking out that I don't actually need, um, and I'm sure if I shortened that up, it would be less chirpy. So you know maybe that's something that I need to do. I need to like uh, bevel the edges on the that work holding so that I can get right. closer to the to the part. Well, wouldn't a, a shrink fit help for that? Because the nose is so small, as well. Yes. Yeah, that's true. So you have a quarter inch of shank sticking it. Uh, the shank is quarter inch in diameter. Yeah, I guess it's a quarter inch. Quarter inch ish. And what would you normally? Like? You would put it right up to the flute, basically. Yeah. The end of the flute. Yeah. yeah. Hmm. So yes, we'll see. Um, I'm still obviously like, and I mean, this is part of the problem. Like when I'm trying to machine the side of the the blade. It forces me into a lot of like suboptimal solutions. Whereas if I only had to machine the three contours on either side, then I could like really choke up on those tools. They'd be really stuck. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, the work holding would be like super, super solid because I'd be like for the kitchen knife. I So I redid a lot of the work holding today with the kitchen knife. I'm putting 16 quarter 20 uh, socket head cap screws through the, the part into wow. the fixture. So I'd be very surprised if that is chirpy. <laughs> um, yeah, so we'll see. Um, so how thick is the material you start with? For the kitchen knife? Yeah. It is one-eighth. 125 thousandths. Really? It's quite thin. Millimeters. Yeah. Wow. Okay, so you don't even, yeah, you don't even have that much, like, material that you're removing in terms of depth. No. Um, I mean, like... Because you're basically you know, going to zero at the the the, the edge is edge. ten thou thick, right? Yeah. yeah, and that that's one of the issues is like I have to work out how to cut through, um, and like get decent edge finishes. <laughs> yeah, know? which is it's going to be pretty brutal. Like I'm, I think I might need a third operation. I'm not 100 percent sure. I have had really good luck so far cutting through. Basically, what I do is. On the first operation, I machine almost halfway through. I leave 10 thou of excess. And then on the second operation, I, I do a, kind of a ramp tool path going around and around until I'm, uh, I've got like 20 thou of um, like a, a, almost like a constant tab going around the part that's 20 uh-huh. thou thick. 
and then I do one pass that cuts through the full depth of the part and takes that tab off as well. And that means the part's always supported by the tab just in front of where the cut's happening. Right. And that is actually surprising. It works surprisingly well. Like the edge finish is pretty decent. But it's hard on your tool. It's hard on the tool. Um, as soon as I get like a chip anywhere in that cutting edge, I'm just going to be leaving a stripe along the edge of the part mm -hmm. that I'm then going to have to hand finish off. You know, so maybe I'll end up with an operate uh, an op three where I'm, you know, somehow clamping the blade down and then I can come in with another end mill and make multiple passes around the edge to like clean it up. But again, YRDM would make this not a problem. I, I think it's a, a, a pretty slick solution. Uh, yeah, I hope so. I think so. <laughs> I don't know. Um, it will be really interesting to, to see yeah, how, how uh, a test operation goes. Yeah. I mean, the Makino rep said that he knows of other people doing similar stuff and that it works really well. And that it's, you know, I mean, if, if the operating cost and the cycle time is, you know, in the ballpark of what he was talking about, then it's literally going to be cheaper per part for me to do that on the YREDM than it is to do it on the, the VMC because right. I'm using more tools on the VMC. Oh, yeah. Like I'm going through more tools. Um, I mean, think about it. It's like, this is what a wire EDM, EDM is for, is... Yeah. Making you know, those little cuts. You know? Yeah. So, okay, if the wire's 10 thou, what's the the, uh, the kerf it's it's leaving? Like the... Um, what, what's the it size is a little cut? bit bigger than the wire, but I don't know exactly what it is. It's, you know, a bit bigger than the wire, but not right. much. Like, probably like a thousand foot two. You know? Oh, okay. Wow. Man, so cool. What yeah. a crazy technology. Who the hell came up with that? I know, right? We're over time again, buddy. We we, we haven't even, even talked about space. Well, We've you got, mentioned it well, briefly. <laughs> We've still got a couple of people that have um, written in with questions and and uh, suggestions and stuff. So we'll have to get to those next week. But oh man, time just flies by. Yeah, um, crazy. Yeah. Uh, well, I guess we'll just get back to it next week. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> We're gonna have more space stuff to talk about. Um, we will decide between now and next week when we're going to go to CMTS yeah. so that we can put the word out and get uh, an XYZ gang at uh, CMTS. Sounds fun. We can roll up on John Grimm's moment. Throw down. Um, who else can we roll up on? Because, I mean, if we've got all <laughs> these, if we've got this gang, you want to take, you know, a posse, you want to take advantage of that. Yeah. Yeah. No. I, Maybe I think, uh, uh, an old bully. <laughs> Well, yeah, I think we'll probably just meld with John's gang because I'm pretty sure uh, he and Angelo and Eric and Sky will all be there. So I don't know if I want to hang with you guys. You guys all have knives. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Or it's like whipping them out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, do knife tricks and stuff. Yeah. So yeah, we'll uh, we'll talk to everybody next week. We'll uh, arrange a CMTS hang, and um, yeah, hope everyone has a great week. Remind me of the dates. Dinner. Oh, okay. Let's talk about it next week. All right. Sounds good. <laughs> All Google right, buddy. It. Yeah, I will. Hope everyone has an awesome week, and we'll see you next week. Bye.
Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.